Acts chapter 12, look, starting at verse 1. I'm going to be reading the whole chapter. It, it says this. About that time, let me pause for a second real quick and also remind you, if you're punching in which translation on your phone, it's the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version that I'm reading from. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to the squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. That very night before Herod was uh, the very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, not the wrapper, was sleeping between two soldiers, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, "'Get up quickly!' And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt, put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. This feels like how my every morning with Tiago. Um, get dressed. We've got to go. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane, when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting." As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it's his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, tell this to James and to the believers. Then he went to another place. When the morning came, there was no small commotion among the soldiers over what had come of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he examined the guards and ordered them to be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, so they came to him in a, in a body, and after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for a reconciliation because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat on the platform, and delivered a public address to them. The people kept shouting, the voice of God and not of a mortal. And immediately, because he had not given gl the glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. 
But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. Then after completing their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem and brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. A whole lot. A whole lot that's going on here. But this is, bless you, uh, this is one of my favorite passages, favorite stories of Scripture. And, and the reason so is just the church feels so human in this story. Like, you see their folly, you see their great faith, you see their distress, you see a level of silliness that's at play, like there's, a, there's humor, like there's just a level of, of just fun and humanity that is just all over the pages of this story. It kind of feels like those, uh, those family stories that maybe all of us have, where you sit and you chat with a sibling or a parent or maybe a really good friend, and you just, you just stop and you just say, remember that time? And just immediately, they're on the exact same page with you. Just like immediately, it's just, and you're laughing with the same level of intensity and joy that you laughed when that thing, that time first happened. That's what this story feels like to me. It's like this story of the church that's just is like, remember that time Peter was in prison and he knocked on that door? Rhoda, do you remember that time? And you just like ran back inside rather than opening the door for him? It's just this really fun, dynamic story that I just think introduces us to the life of the church in, in a really approachable way. Now, listen, like every great story or every really memorable story, there's also this mixture of, of grief and joy that's at play in the life of the story. There's something like weighty about it, but also something really joyful about it. The story starts with, with James dying. The story starts amongst great tragedy. And the story starts in a place where the church is overcome with grief and despair. The story starts in this place of, of sorrow and longing. And And I, I, I think that's that, that same experience that we all have maybe in, over the course of our own lives is, is that it feels like so often like the news of death gets mingled with the news of life. And it's, it's just this reminder, I believe, that, that God compels us to understand that he's with us amongst even our most tragic scenarios, and he's able to bring peace and joy and hope in those spaces. I remember, you know, quite a, a couple of years ago, a year and a half or almost two years ago now, my younger brother passing away um, in, in a traffic accident, and obviously, there's just this devastating time in my life, but I also all of a sudden realized and had greater awareness that there were always also these points of joy and life that people were sharing with me at that time. Like there was, there was like pregnancy announcements and there were wedding announcements. And, and it's almost like the people that were sharing those spaces with me almost felt bad. Like, like you're just walking through this tragedy and I'm going to come share this extremely great news that's going on in my life. Um, 
man, that's so often how life works. That as, as, we, as we were walking through these tragic and difficult times, that we would have awareness and ability to see, yet there's still hope, yet there's still joy, yet there's still life. I think that's one of the, the really powerful and profound things for me amidst the story is that as the church describes the story to us, it starts with one of their, one of the main three leaders of the church is dead. And then it's infused with this joy and this humor. It's infused with this life. It's infused with just humanity in it. And, and, and so, again, it's, pretty, it's just this incredible storytelling here um, by Luke, who writes this story. I love the imagery. It's so visceral of Rhoda running back into the house. Some of you probably know it, will immediately see it in your, in your mind right now. It's that, what it feels like for me as Peter's standing there, he's knocking on the door, and then he sees Rhoda turn around and run away. It, it, I, what I see in my mind is that gif of John Travolta, if anyone's ever seen it. Like, he's just like looking around like, what just happened? If you don't know what I'm talking about, send me a text message right now, and I'll respond uh, later on today with the gif of John Travolta looking around. Like, that's, that's the imagery I have of Peter going, where are you going? Where are you going right now? And just sitting there, and, it just says, and he kept on knocking. And he just kept on knocking. Um, we're wrapping up today a sermon series called Jesus for Everyone. And... Uh, over the course of this sermon series, what we've been reflecting on is that when um, Luke writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts, one of the things that he does so intentionally is that he pairs together the stories of women and men. And it's this incredible way to show us through story that Jesus is for all of humanity. It's this incredible way to, for us to, to hear and to understand that all of us are called to a life of following Jesus. That no matter where we're at on, on the social rung of, of hierarchy, no matter where we're at according to, to our history, no matter where we're at, that, that it's this incredible way for, for, for Luke to come and to describe to us, yes, he spoke to Rhoda, and yes, he spoke to Peter. Right? It's his way to, to express to us that, that Jesus really is here for children and women and men, and, and he's here for, for kings and he's here for slaves. Like It's this just incredibly powerful way to describe, again, that Jesus is for everyone. But the thing that we said that we would be doing over the course of this sermon series is that we would be exploring a really big theological kind of phrase, Lucan themes of theology, <laughs> Right? And, and what that means is, is that they are these different themes that Luke loves to explore over the course of his, his letters or his books to the church, the book of Acts and the book of Luke. So what I wanted to do today is, is simply look at this story from that kind of a lens. What are some of the themes that we might be able to revisit together as a church as we look at the writing of Luke, specifically what we see happening here um, in, in this story here in Acts chapter 12. One of the Lucan themes 
is that our lives are mapped onto the life of Jesus. Our lives are mapped onto the life of Jesus. Last week, as Lewis and I were driving down the 8 freeway, uh, I looked over, and there in the passenger seat of the car next to us was this tiny little dog. And this tiny little dog was, was chewing on something, and then Larissa kind of responds and just like with this laughter that's, that's there. And I'm looking at her like, what are, you, what are you laughing at? And she said, the owner looks just like their dog. <laughs> and then she says, and they're chewing the exact same way. I know you guys have probably seen these, these pictures before. I'm not going to bring them up on this, the screen or anything like that, but these dogs and these owners that all of a sudden just start, like they look like one another. Or did you just find that as, as, a, as a couple is married and, and the longer that they're married together, all of a sudden like they, they start dressing the same, they, they look the same, they, they, like, they just like, you start looking like the people that you spend time with. Your, your lives start like being merged together with one another. And so, you, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see the dynamic at play because, listen, I, I, I hope you're okay with me telling you that I didn't pass this by you. I do Larissa's clothes shopping. Like a lot of times I, like I go out and I, I'll just, maybe, or I'll be on Amazon, I'll just see something, I'm like, ah, oh, I think Larissa would like that. And, or her shoes, like I just go on, it gives me excuse to go on Nike's website. And I just buy her a pair of shoes, then it's a little bit easier for me to come home with a new pair of shoes. But as you realize, you spend time with one another, you start gifting things to each other that are according really to your preferences and likes, and your lives start, your lives start looking like each other. And, and Luke intentionally writes his stories in a way that it feels like he's repeating himself, where he'll tell a story in the book of Luke, and then later on in the book of Acts, he'll tell a story, and there's all, there's all of these touch points. There's all of these points in which you realize, oh, he's connecting us back to the story that he told before. And what's even more powerful is that he so often will just kind of like, will say something and just, it almost has like an ellipsis to it. And, and what you'll notice about the book of Luke is it doesn't, I mean, the book of Acts, it doesn't really have a solid conclusion to the book. And the reason so is because Luke is saying like, and the story is still continuing. And so what, you're, what you'll realize is, is the life of Jesus, or excuse me, the life of the disciples and the things that they live out, they're experiencing the same things that Jesus experienced as he walked the earth. And then the invitation for us is to realize that what the church experienced, we're going to experience. And what Jesus experienced, we're going to experience. It's this incredible invitation and understanding that says the story is going to continue in your lives. This is going to be quite long, but I want you to be able to see what Luke is doing here, because you can miss it if you don't stop and, and really dive into what's happening here. Watch, let's go to the next slide. In Luke chapter 22, this is the story of Jesus' crucifixion, and it says, now the 
the festival of unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, which was near. The start of this story, this was during the festival of unleavened bread, still in the crucifixion. They seized him, speaking of Jesus, and led him away. Now, speaking of Peter, when he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over. Go to the next slide. In, in, uh, that's Luke 23. They're speaking of Jesus and, and Barabbas here. He says, um, this is Pontius the Pilate. He released the man, Barabbas, that they asked for, that the Jews had asked for, the one who had, put, had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed Jesus over as they wished. Pontius Pilate realized that this was going to please the Jews. And so then in Acts chapter 12, what happens with Peter and, and James here is after he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, the story uh, Jesus's um, birth. This is the Christmas narrative. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And then here in the breaking free of Peter in the prison, it says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And, and this is the resurrection story here, Luke chapter 24, verse 2. They, the, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Acts chapter 12, Peter's miraculously released from a cave, from a prison. They came before the iron gate leading into the city. It was opened up for them of its own accord, and they went outside. Luke 24, again, the resurrection. This is the women coming to the disciples and saying, Jesus is alive. Um, and all the story that's happening amongst the disciples and says, as they're hearing all of this, it says, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. And you see this disconnect between being really happy but acting in a contrary way. And here's Rhoda. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, and then this is the announcement from the women at the, the tomb, seeing the empty tomb. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And then here you have Rhoda arriving to the church, announcing to them essentially a resurrection kind of a story. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so. And they said, it's his angel. This is not subtle, <laughs> but, but I hope what you're seeing here is that Luke is being very intentional, and it becomes painfully obvious when you sit with it and start mapping out. You realize that Luke wants us to see the connections between the stories. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is lived out by Peter to a stunning degree you will experience the things that Jesus experienced. That the life of Jesus is going to be marked onto your life. I have come to call this silly putty theology. You guys ever played with silly putty, right? You'd lay it on a newspaper or a piece of paper and you lift it up and what was on the paper is imprinted onto the silly putty. And, and the invitation here by Luke, for us, the level of awareness and understanding that we're meant to have is that as your life is pressed on to the life of Jesus, it's going to, be a, it's going to have a formative effect. That as you are with Jesus, as your life is intermingled with Jesus, as you spend time with Jesus, it's going to leave you changed. And what you are going to discover is that the very words of Scripture are going to be imprinted onto your life.
you are going to live out what is happening in the pages of Scripture. This is the invitation from Luke to us. Would you you see your lives interwoven with the life of Jesus? That you would would be in him and him in you to a a stunning degree. That you you would be recognized. You'd be recognized as one of Jesus's friends. And and there's another level to this, is that what you'll notice as the uh, story of of Peter comes to an end before the death of, of Herod, there's this little subtle statement here that, that Luke adds in to them, to here. So he, he motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he, Peter, um, added, so Peter added this, tell this to James and to the believers, then Peter left and went to another place. Why does, why does Luke include this here in this story? Is because you'll only one more time in the book of Acts will you see Peter's name mentioned. And this little sentence we look at and we recognize that this is the handing over of leadership of the Jerusalem church here. That Peter's no longer the leader of the church in, in Jerusalem, now James is. And it's this way of, of handing things off and saying, like, that, that which God has, has faithfully done in my life and that how, the way that he has, has faithfully led me and has been with me, now go tell James. Go hand this story off to him and to the believers with him. It's this way to just be able to say, like, now the story's yours. And then Peter just disappears. He just fades out of the story. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to live it out. Now, now, it's, now it's your turn to follow Jesus in this way. Now it's your turn to experience the goodness and the grace of God in your own life in this way. You're now the apprentices. You're now the ones that are called to learn under the shepherding hand of Jesus I love the way that Justo Gonzalez states it. He says, a story that gives us information but still goes on is an invitation, an invitation to join it, to continue it. This is why Luke writes his story as he does, not only to inform us or to inform Theophilus, who he writes this book to, but also to invite Theophilus and us to continue a history that is still ongoing. The story is yours now to live out. There's this other theme that, that Luke loves to reflect on. He, this is maybe one of his favorite themes just for the sheer abundance uh, of how much he brings it up over his writings, and it's called the Great Reversal. Other ways that it's known is that the world turned upside down. Uh, and I wrote there, God has surprising apprentices. This whole, by the way, this whole morning, just that word apprentices, it's this learning to, to the life of Jesus, being near him, and, and, and the form and shape of his life all of a sudden becomes the form and shape of our lives. What's the connection there? Is that it's no small thing 
that a slave girl becomes the reliable source of truth in this story. It's, it's no small thing because what is Luke connecting us here to is he's connecting us to the story of Mary. And what you find in the story of Mary is one of the first messages that we have in this sermon series is that, that the story starts, the story of Luke starts with Zechariah, one of the priests, going into the temple. And there he has this vision of God, or an angel speaks to him, letting him know that his wife's going to become pregnant and, she's, and they're going to have John the Baptist. And, and he doesn't really believe it, and he's struck in with, with silence. He can't speak until the birth of his son. And then the story then goes to the story of Mary, and there's a contrast that's at play here where you have this humble, poor girl who, who is commended to us as one who completely believes the words of the angel spoken to her. But then Mary, Mary gives this prophecy Mary speaks these words in this, in this moment. She says this, He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And one of the themes that, lo that Luke loves to show us is how those that are on the fringe of society, those who are marginalized, those who are poor, those that are looked over, now all of a sudden they're becoming the ones that are the reliable source of truth. They're the ones that are being brought forward for us and saying, listen to them. They're the ones that are being shown to us and saying, these are the ones that I am partnering with in my kingdom coming on the face of this earth. And it's, it's not Herod. It's a slave girl. These are the ones that I'm calling to myself. And it's this incredible reversal that's taking place. And it's, and, it's, and, and it's a challenge to us, the church, to see who do, who do, we, who do we go out of our way to greet? Who do we value? Who do we esteem? Who do we love? Who are our eyes upon? Who do, who do we listen to? Who might have a voice in the life of our communities? Like, who, who is it that we really believe God might be using for the sake of his good in the world? And it's this, it's this learning space of saying, it's the poor. It's the lowly. It's the slave. It's the unrecognized. These are the ones. These are the ones that God is using. These are the ones that God is endowing with significance and authority. And listen to how Luke describes the current leaders of the church when he speaks about them in Acts chapter 4. This is, um, it'll come up on the screen. It says, now when they, the religious leaders, saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. This is the great reversal that's taking place. Who's God calling to himself and who's God endowing with authority? It's slave girls and it's uneducated and ordinary people. I love the Lego movie. 
I love the Lego movie. And there's this, there's this moment where Emmett, the star of the Lego movie, stands up, and he's, in bunch, he's standing in front of all of these heroes, and Superman's there, and Batman's there, and, and the Riddler's there, and Gandalf's in the, in the ring. And, and so there's all of these people that are surrounding him, and he stands up, and he says this, I may not have a lot of experience fighting or leading or coming up with plans or having ideas in general. In fact, I'm not all that smart. And now, I'm not what you'd call a creative type. Plus, generally unskilled, also scared and cowardly. I know what you're thinking. He is the least qualified person in the world to lead us, and you are right. This is the great reversal. It's the scared, the cowardly, it's the uneducated, it's the uncreative, it's the ordinary, it's the looked over. You don't have to be a superhero. But can you be a companion of Jesus? Can you be a friend of Jesus? That's, that's the place of significance and authority. God is exalting the humble, but he's also bringing down the mighty from their thrones. And you actually see this in the way that, that Luke is, is navigating the story of Herod in this chapter. Because the way that... that that Luke starts this story is here. It'll come up on, on the screen, Acts chapter 12, verse 2. It says, he had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. The story starts with Herod in power. The story starts with Herod in control. And, and I think what Luke is doing here is he's encouraging the church to recognize we just sang it this morning. I know how this story ends. I know how this story ends. Because the story ends, and immediately because he had not given the glory to God, and the angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. And this is, this is meant to be encouraging, but also challenging for the church. It's, it's this statement that, that lets us know, like, a lot of the times, church, it's going to feel like Herod's way is winning. It's going to feel like Babylon and Rome and the way of empire is winning. A lot of times, the story's going to start like it does here. James, the brother of John, is killed by the sword. And there's going to often be these points of tension and temptation in our lives. Are you going to choose to apprentice under the way of Herod, or are you going to choose to apprentice under the way of Jesus? And, and that feels like it's an easy answer, right? It feels like all of us would just right now just be like boldly be able to say, yeah, the way of Jesus, like no duh, right? Like I will follow the way of Jesus. But the truth is, and what so subtly sneaks into the hearts and to the lives of followers of Jesus is that we are tempted to 
follow the ways of Herod. It's this way in which power and control and selfishness is sought after. It's the way of control. It's the way of seizing for ourselves. It's, it's, it's the ways of looking out for our own pleasure. And, and the church is constantly going to be in this place where we're tempted to believe that the way of sacrificial love isn't the way that wins out, isn't the way that prevails. And so often what we will experience, it just feels like, so often, right? It feels like the way of the world is winning. But we know how this story ends. Continue. Continue to apprentice under the way of Jesus. Continue to follow the way of Jesus. Because his way will prevail. He will be faithful to his people. Which brings us to the, to the last point. It's called the story of Israel. Another one of, of Luke's favorite themes is to show how, how Jesus and the story of the church is, is connected to the story of Israel. It isn't a wiping away the story of Israel. It isn't like this replacement theology that says now we are the Israelites, right? But it's this understanding that God is continually faithful to his people. Why is, how is this pointed out here in this passage? What you'll notice is that in each of Luke's books, he starts with an Old Testament prophecy and then you'll see that prophecy lived out over the course of the book. So in the book of Luke, he starts with this prophecy. Jesus stands up in front of uh, the, Nazarite, the, the Nazarene synagogue, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then this, the rest of the book of Luke is this being lived out. And it's this statement to us, that which God has promised to his people, he's going to bring to fulfillment. And, and as followers of Christ, people who have been grafted into the promises of God, we celebrate that God is faithful to the Israelites because it communicates to us he will also then be faithful to us. And so then what you see in Acts chapter 2, the, the story of Acts then starts with this other Old Testament prophecy where it says in the last days, so in Acts chapter 2, it's a prophecy from Joel chapter 2, in the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. What is the story of Rhoda? It is the story of God's fulfilled promises. Who is Rhoda? She was prophesied by, by Joel. And, and Peter stands in front of the church and he gives this prophecy. And what's now powerful is that you then fast forward to Acts chapter 12 and Peter is interacting with Rhoda. The, he, there is now a face to the person that he prophesied about. He is now seeing tangibly expressed in front of him, these are the things that God promised to us. I'm seeing it lived out. Rhoda. 
a slave girl, steps into the prayer gathering, says, Peter's outside. And they don't believe her. And Luke is emphasizing for us, believe her, because God spoke this. These are the kinds of people. They're going to bring powerful prophetic words to the life of your community. What you see here by, in Rhoda is the tangible demonstration of God's faithfulness. If he said it, he's going to do it. And so each story that Luke tells, each letter that he writes to the church is the statement that says, here's God's word, now watch it happen. You can bank on it. And you can put your finger on the pages of scripture and you can trace this promise lived out. And in your own life, you can put your finger on the pages of scripture and you can conclude that if he was faithful to Israel, he will be faithful to the church. If he's faithful to the church, he will be faithful to me as well. We can bank on his promises. Because if he said it, he's going to do it. He's going to accomplish it. He's going to bring about his promises. Pastor Brittany, would you come back up on stage? As God was with Moses, he's with Joshua. As God was with Peter, he'll be with James. And as God was with Peter and James, he'll be with us. The person on the lowest rung of society is a participant in the prayer gathering and giving a faithful testimony. God is faithful. God is faithful. He can be relied upon. Jesus, we... Again, just pray what we've been praying all morning. May we have a greater awareness of your presence here with us. Would you continue to provoke, to evoke within us a hope and a joy and a peace and understanding that you are at work in the world around us? There's so many times that we don't see it. There's so many times where we don't connect the dots between what you said and what is happening in the world around us. But Lord, you are faithful. You have always been faithful. And so again, Lord, whatever my brothers and sisters are navigating, I just pray that they might be strengthened this morning to know you are with us. May, may, may the story of Jesus be imprinted upon our lives. May, may our lives be interwoven with you to a May we know you with us in everything that we live and say and do. So we pray that in your name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me?